0: Good morning. I do not have a PowerPoint this morning, so I will stand in front of the TV. Everybody doing good? Open up, if you will, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 will be in verse 14. And I'm going to put a few people on the spot here. All right, William, I'm going to give you a million dollars, all right? And I want you to go out and make some money with it. What's your idea? What are you doing? Put it in a bank. bank. All right. Why? Why would you do that? You'll get some interest on it, right? The bank will give you some money. All right. Good. So that's not a bad idea. Owen, I give you a million dollars. What are you going to do with it? invested in real estate all right another well any particular type of real estate commercial all right single family homes all right good 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 taylor i give you a million dollars what are you going to do with it it doesn't have to be fancy start a business all right i like it what kind of business would you start Graphic artist, graphic design kind of business, maybe? Sure. All right, cool. Good idea. Yeah, so this is a good illustration of exactly our parable this morning in the realization that our lives, the very lives that you're living right now, are um, an investment or something that God has entrusted you with to serve him. God has given you this life, your capabilities, your opportunities, for the purpose of glorifying Him and serving Him. And here's the thing about life. God doesn't give us, like, His schedule of events. To me, that's always one of the really interesting things about life, is we have no idea What today brings, tomorrow, next month, the coming years. We have no idea what God has in store for us when our opportunity to serve him on this earth ends or even when he returns to bring a conclusion to this current world system and inaugurate his eternal kingdom. But when that happens, whenever our time is up, God is going to want to know the things that he entrusted to us, this life that he has entrusted to us, how did we use it to glorify him? He's given, it this, given us this life not for the purposes of pleasing ourselves, of um, making our own name great, but for the purpose of pleasing and serving him, serving one another as part of serving him, and making, uh, bringing glory to his name. And so as we've been looking at Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, a big theme of Jesus, the big theme of what Jesus has been teaching, is that we don't know exactly when he will return. But until then, he wants us to live in anticipation, being prepared for his return, and faithfully serving him, until his return. One of the ways he's been teaching us this is through a series of parables. So, the last time we were together um, studying Matthew, verses 1 to 13 of chapter 25, Jesus gave the parable of the ten virgins. And the message that Jesus was communicating through that parable was be ready, be prepared for when Christ returns. Don't get caught off guard. Don't get um, caught unprepared. Be prepared as you wait for Jesus to return. This morning, we're going to look at a third parable in this series of parables. And the theme of this parable, verses 14 to 30, is that Christians are to be faithfully working for God's kingdom as we await Christ's return. We don't know when Christ is coming back, but we are to be faithfully working and serving Him, serving His kingdom, until He does come back. The first point for your outline this morning, in this parable, is an entrustment. An entrustment. Let's look at verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. These two verses here give us really the groundwork for the parable. It gets us up to speed on what the situation is here. Here we have a, a wealthy man, a wealthy landowner, who's getting ready to go on a journey. This wealthy um, man in this passage, in this parable, this man illustrates Jesus. This is, this is Jesus in, in, in this parable. And this wealthy man, he wants to make sure that while he's away, that his finances are in order. That his estate is cared for. While he's away, and so he calls to himself three slaves. And his plan is he's going to entrust his things, his possessions, and his finances to these three slaves while he goes away on this journey. He's entrusting a stewardship to them. And the slaves in this parable, they represent followers of Christ. So as you look for yourself in this lesson, you are The slave. Jesus Christ is the master. Don't lose sight of that. Because the master does something very interesting here. He calls his three slaves to him, and he divides up what he's entrusting to them among these three different slaves. But it's interesting, right? He does a different amount to each slave, which is an important point in a few different ways as we work through the parable. Verse 15 says that to one slave he gives five talents, to another slave he gives two talents, and to the final slave he only gives one. Now what's a talent? It's interesting, our English word for talent, how would you define a talent, the English word for it? Yeah, a specialized skill. And it's interesting, we actually get our definition for talent from this passage. Even though what is going on here, it, it's not exactly correct to look at as like, oh, the slave gave to one, or the master gave to the slave the ability to do this, or the ability to do that. What, what a talent is in this passage, it's actually a unit of weight, a measurement. So kind of like we would say a pound. You have uh, a pound of flour or a pound of sugar or a pound of meat. So a talent is just like a pound, a weight of measurement and It was a weight of measurement or unit of measurement used when it came to precious metals, so like silver or gold, and it carried with it a financial value. So in essence here, the master is really entrusting the slaves with large amounts of money, with large amounts of money, and he wants them to faithfully use this while he is on his journey for the purpose of bringing more financial wealth to the master. He wants these slaves to use this money wisely. And that brings us to our second point, a slave's service. They've been entrusted with this wealth from their master. Now let's see what they go do with it. A slave's service. Look at verses 16 to 18. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the slaves take some different approaches here, right? I'm glad when I asked all of you, what would you have done with a million dollars to go earn more? You all had good ideas, right? You all had good ideas. We don't know exactly how your ideas would have turned out if you had gone and implemented them, but at least you were going to go do something, right? You all had an idea, something smart, something wise, that you would go do with the money. And the first two slaves here do essentially the same thing. Verse 16 says that they immediately got to work. There's no laziness on their part. There's no slothfulness. They immediately get to work, and they go about work trading, And we don't know exactly what they did. He just says that they went about trading with this money. But they were successful, right? Both the slave with five talents and the slave with two talents got a 100% gain on the money. They doubled the money, which is really good. Anytime you can take your money and double it, that means you have done something wise and good from a business standpoint with that money. So whatever it was... They obviously went out and acted very prudently with the master's money. Now that's the first two slaves. Does the third slave act in the same way? No. He, does, he acts very, very differently. And throughout this parable, we're going to see a very stark contrast between the first two slaves and this third one. The first two, this is just really the first point of contrast, the first two immediately get to work and go act prudently and double the master's money. But the third slave, verse 18, the one who received the one talent, went away and he dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. It's an interesting approach. I'm really glad when I asked the three of you, what would you do with the money? None of you said nothing. Because nothing is a bad answer. Nothing, that's not a good, a good approach. That is laziness. It is not wise at all. If I gave you a million dollars, maybe you would go consult some people on how to best use it. That'd be a good idea, right? It's generally a good idea to go out, seek advice, Maybe talk to some financial advisors, or if you're going to start a business, like maybe talk to some consultants. I've given you a million dollars. You could afford to pay some consulting fees, right? If you go out and talk to a financial advisor saying, okay, I've got a million dollars. What should I do with this? There is not a good financial advisor in the world who is going to tell you to do nothing at all. There's not a good financial advisor in the world that's going to say, okay, look, this is what you do. You go home and you take a knife and just slice the side of your mattress and you just start stuffing that money in there and you just let that money sit there in your mattress. Nobody's going to tell you that because what happens to the value of money over time? It goes down, right? Especially right now. Like right now, we're in a period of relatively unique inflation, like 40-year high inflation, right? And so over time, if you just let that money sit there and do absolutely nothing, it loses value. In fact, like a dollar at the time I was born has about one-third of the purchasing power of a dollar today. So the slave that takes his master's money and just buries it in a hole, doing absolutely nothing, being lazy, completely unwise, is losing money for the master. It's laziness and it's foolishness. It's about much more, and we're going to see this, it's about much more than simply losing money for the master. The key issue that we're going to arrive at here is laziness, foolishness, and really a lack of love, admiration, and respect for the master. It's clear he just doesn't care for the master at all. There's no love or appreciation for the fact that his master has called him to him and entrusted him with a sum of money. Sure, it wasn't as big as the others, but still... He was entrusted with the master's money, and he was a very unfaithful slave. Because remember, this, these talents that were entrusted to the slaves, this wasn't a gift to them. This wasn't like a, hey, here, here's some money, go do what you want with it, go have fun, go spend it. It wasn't given to them to do as they pleased, but it was a stewardship that the slaves were supposed to exercise in service of the master. At some point, the master's going to return. And he's going to want to know from each of the slaves, what have you done with the things I've given you? He's going to want to collect on what is due him. And that brings us to our third point, the master's return. The master's return, verses 19 to 28. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of of your master. So far so good, right? Let's get to this third slave. And the one also who'd received the one talent came up and said, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours." But his master answered and said to him, "You wicked lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I do not, did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. The master returns. Now we don't know how long the master planned on staying away, and something else we don't know, and this is very critical for us, is followers of Christ. It would have been critical for the immediate hearers of Christ in this parable, those who are standing around listening to him teach about the end of this world and the tribulation and the establishment of his kingdom on this earth. It's important for believers of all time, though. The master in this parable didn't give some kind of schedule to the slaves. He left for an indeterminate amount of time and wanted them to be faithful in anticipation of his return. I think you see the direct connection to us as followers of Christ. Whether it be the return of Christ or even just the end of your life, you don't know when your opportunity to serve the Master on this earth comes to an end. The slaves in this parable, there's no indication that they had any knowledge of how long the master would be away or when he would return. It simply says in verse 19 that it was after a long time. And I think that long time piece is important, right? Because what happens, like, sorry, if, uh, let's say I give you a project, And I'm like, all right, this is due next Sunday. And let's say you're going to be faithful, right? Let's just assume you're going to be faithful and hardworking with this project. You know you've got a week. You're going to be working hard on it all week, right? What if I just say, hey, can you take care of this for me? And I give you a project and I give you no due date. What happens over time? You might start to lose focus, right? What if it's like a month, two months, three months, I haven't even mentioned this project to you. You're like, I don't know. Maybe he forgot. I'll go ahead and put it to the side. It's easy as the time draws on. And the New Testament addresses Christians about this all the time. As the time draws on in waiting for our Lord's return, it can become easy to lose focus. It can become easy because we don't know the time when this life ends for us to lose focus. It can be very easy. And that's why the New Testament repeatedly um, it repeatedly stresses what Jesus is stressing to us throughout Matthew 24 and 25. Live in anticipation. Live being prepared. Live working for the kingdom of God because we don't know when the time comes. And in this parable, verse 19 simply says, it was after a long time. But after this long time, Verse 19 says, The master wants to settle accounts with the slaves. He wants to know, in my absence, what have you been doing? In my absence, how have you faithfully used what I entrusted to you? He wants to settle accounts. It's obvious there's going to be some sort of verdict declared by the master on the faithfulness of the slaves when he talks to them. And as we've already talked about the first two slaves, they did well. They doubled their master's money, a 100% return. So you have two faithful slaves, right? In verse 20, you have the report from the first slave, the one who was entrusted with 5 talents. And verse 20 says, The one who received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And here's the master's judgment in verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's interesting, right? Like when you think of slaves and masters, you typically think of a very harsh relationship, right? Like you typically think of a master being above the slave, but like looking down on the slave. But here we actually have the master giving honor to the slave because of his faithfulness. The master saying, you are a good and faithful slave. Now go back to remembering that in this parable, the master represents Jesus and the slave represents you all. Can you imagine the joy of hearing God say, you are faithful with your life? You were faithful with the life that I gave you, with the opportunities that I gave you, with the gifts that I gave you. That should be, to hear Christ saying that when you stand before him, should be such an incredibly motivating influence in your life. In fact, John, First John tells us that. Like those who have this hope, this hope of Christ's return and seeing Christ, those who have that hope It purifies them. It's a purifying hope. It changes the way we live. And the slave is greatly rewarded for his faithfulness. Seeing his faithfulness with a few things, he was put in charge of many things. And and something else happens too in verse 21. There's really a a change in that relationship, inter into the joy of your master. Uh, this, is, this is heaven, right? I mean, heaven is that eternal fellowship of joy and sharing in the kingdom of God, sharing in Christ's kingdom. Uh, that's just really the incredible thing when it comes to being a follower of Christ and a disciple of his, is that sure, it is a master-slave relationship, there's no doubt about that, but it is not the a cruel master that we uh, we we serve, but it is an incredibly loving, uh, glorious Savior who invites us to share in His joys and inherit His kingdom with Him. Don't get confused; it's His kingdom, but He calls us to to share in that inheritance. And enter into his joy. And we get the report from the second slave as well. Verse 22. The one who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. Now we would say good job to this slave too, right? He, again, doubled his master's money. 100% gain. He was given two talents. And he received two more, or and he gained two more. But if you're, let's just think from a purely human standpoint right now, and as if we haven't read this already, we would think his, his reward will probably be smaller, right? I mean, you know, it's great you doubled it, but it's only two. This other guy brought in five, right? Like thinking from a human standpoint, you're thinking, yeah, okay, good. We're very proud of you 100%. But we would expect a smaller reward. But what's remarkable about the master's response? Is it any different at all from the way he responded to the one who brought in five talents? None. It's not different at all. Look at verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's the same response. And I think this is such an incredible lesson for us in the church as individuals and as followers of Christ. God is concerned with your faithfulness. Okay? We all are given different opportunities. We're all given different levels of natural capabilities, right? Like some of us are born just naturally brilliant, that you can just learn everything. And if somebody said, hey, get up and teach this, or get up and sing this, or do this, like you are just naturally capable physically, mentally, in every single way. Some of us are born with far less natural capabilities, right? Like it doesn't matter how hard we tried. We could never get up and lead a congregation in singing. We could never get up and do certain things physically. We could never get up and teach a lesson because maybe we just don't speak well, right? We are all given different opportunities and different roles to play in the church. But you know what God cares about? Your faithfulness. Whether it is faithfully teaching Faithfully leading worship through music, faithfully moving chairs, faithfully visiting sick people, faithfully preparing meals for people, it doesn't matter. What God is concerned with is, here's the opportunities I've given you. Here's the spiritual gifts I've given you. Are you going to be faithful with them? And it's such a critical lesson, because what do we tend to do as people, even in the church? We look at what other people got going on, right? And we start to compare ourselves with other people. Like, oh, look how gifted they are. Or look, how, look at this role that they get to play in the church. Or look at this ministry that they have. And we start to judge things not in the way that God judges them, but in the way that people judge them. And that is always the wrong way to judge things. It's always a bad idea to sit here and compare yourself up against other people. The person we compare ourselves up against is jesus christ right and what god is concerned with is your faithfulness with the opportunities that he's given you so whatever it is god's given you to do do it faithfully do it faithfully and see what other opportunities he brings along it's a it's a clear principle in this passage but throughout the bible When you're faithful with little things or what you view as little things or what we might call little things, God puts you in bigger opportunities and bigger situations to serve him, right? The key is be faithful wherever God has put you. Be faithful where he has put you. So when it comes to the first slave who gets five additional talents or the second slave who brings in two additional talents, The master is pleased with both of them. What about the third, though? When we get to the third, we have one unfaithful slave. Let's read up on his report to the master. Tell me if you see a difference here. Verse 24, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Now this is different. The prior slaves brought in a 100% return for their master. This slave brought in 0%. He did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And He makes the matters worse with his report to the master. Like, don't you imagine? So put yourself in the third slave's position, and you're sitting there. You you know, you got your, your first guy who goes up and gives this awesome report. The master's pleased. You got the second guy who goes up and gives an awesome report. The master's pleased. You're starting to get a little nervous as the third slave here. You're like, you're starting to think, okay, how do I get around this situation, right? I've done nothing. I've done nothing. So does, does the third slave, do we get to him and he says, Master, I'm sorry, I was lazy. I'm sorry, I was foolish. Do we see any repentance here, repentance at all? Does he, do we see any acknowledgement of his laziness or foolishness or guilt? No. Do we see some blame shifting here? Yeah, that's what we see, right? Like, whose fault is it that he did nothing according to the third slave? The masters, right? Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered scattered no seed. Instead of taking responsibility... For his own disobedience, he starts to shift blame. Do we see this in the world a lot? With unbelievers particularly, right? It's like, oh, it's God's fault. God made me this way. God put me in these circumstances where I had no choice but to act sinfully. God put me, God made me in this way where I have no choice but to act sinfully. We see it all the time. You hear unbelievers all the time talking about how they're angry with God. People blame shift all the time. Unbelievers blame shift. That's exactly what this third slave does as we begin to get a glimpse of who the third slave really is. What we're finding out, what we're going to find out is this third slave is a hypocrite. This third slave isn't a believer at all. What we're going to discover here is the first two slaves are actual believers, representative of actual believers, who receive an inheritance in their master and enjoy fellowship with their master. This third slave, it turns out, was a fake was a hypocrite, was a, decei- was a deceiver, is not a believer at all. The first sign we get, well, I should say the second, the first sign was the unfruitfulness, the unfaithfulness. The second sign we see here is his refusal to take responsibility for his own disobedience and instead blame the master, saying the master is so cruel, he's a hard man, he goes around extorting people, gathering where he scattered no seed. Look, don't do this. Like, this is just a good principle in all of life. Take responsibility before God and just in all circumstances, all right? Don't blame shift. Don't be this third slave. Because guess what? The master is not having his excuses. We see this in the judgment, verses 26 to 28. The master does not let the slave get away with lame excuses. When it comes time to stand before Christ in judgment, there are no excuses. We are all given the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. We are all given the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel in obedience. We are all given the opportunity to serve the master. And he does not let the slave get away with these excuses. Instead, he calls him out for what the situation really is, wickedness and laziness. It is nothing but lack of love and devotion to the master that has the slave acting this way. The master says to him in verse 26, you wicked, lazy slave. He also uses the slave's words against him here, which I think is really interesting, right? Like the slave's excuse was, you're a harsh person. You're a harsh master. You're a harsh man, and you go around extorting people. So I was scared to do anything with your money. The, ma- the master turns those words right back on him, essentially saying, if you knew that I was such a harsh master, you should have probably tried harder, right? Like, that's exactly what he says in verses 26 and 27. Um, he says, you knew I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Again, that's just the master turning his own words back on him because this is what he accused the master of. If I am really that cruel and you knew that, verse 27, you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received back my money with interest. Because when you put money in a bank, they don't tend to give you much, but they at least give you a little bit of interest on your money. Not a ton. So it's probably not no, I don't think anybody's ever going to say, "Yeah, just go set it in the bank and just leave it there." It's not the greatest thing, but at least it's something, right? At least it is something. What the third slave did was just say, "I don't care at all. I'm completely lazy and completely foolish and completely careless." When it comes to serving my master, I don't feel like doing anything. I'm just going to go put it in a hole. The master says you should have at least done the bare minimum. But the third slave was utterly worthless and lazy. And so we see his judgment in verse 28. Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who, who has ten talents. So, again, slave one and slave two both represent true believers in Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you will be fruitful in serving him to some degree, right? We all have different levels of um, just uh, our fruitfulness, but there is some fruit Unfruitfulness is what goes with being an unbeliever. What complete unfruitfulness shows is that you're a hypocrite. You're not a true follower of Christ. And that brings us to point four, our last one, an important principle. Verses 29 to 30. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So verse 29, believers in Christ, just like the first two slaves, inherit the kingdom. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. Those who have the fruit of salvation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives, because part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is serving the kingdom of Christ, serving God. Those who have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives and serve the kingdom of God, they inherit the kingdom. Those who have more shall be given, infinitely more, the kingdom of God, fellow inheritors of the kingdom of God. But for those who are represented by the third slave, the hypocrite, those who show through a lack of fruit, an absence, I should say, an absence of fruit in their lives, no desire to serve Christ, no desire to serve his kingdom, no desire to serve the church, what it reveals is that You are an unbeliever. You are a hypocrite. And there's judgment for hypocrites and unbelievers. The one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So... This is actual participation part. How do you serve God's kingdom now? How do you do it? Like as a young person practically. Like what are some of the things? And again, it's important to remember this is the Holy Spirit working through you, right? Like you're not earning salvation by serving God's kingdom. You're serving of God's kingdom as a response to the salvation that you have from the Holy Spirit living inside of you, right? Does that make sense? So with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you the ability to serve him, how can you do that? Joy? That's a great practical way right there. That's huge. And it's a double-fold service too, right? You're serving the kids, you have the opportunity to love on kids, and be an example to them, and you're serving the parents too, right? Because you're giving them the opportunity to relax for a little bit and worship service and focus on worshiping God and not have to worry like, okay, what about my little kid? It's a double-fold service, and here's what I love about that too. It's a very practical, formal way to do it, because I always think there's two different ways you serve in the church. One is with the formal stuff like that. There's a lot of formal ministries, people we need to sign up for them, we need to know who's doing them from week to week, and those are great. And then there's a lot of informal ways we serve one another, right? Like just in interacting with each other before service, after service, anytime we're together, loving each other, and just recognizing, hey, you look a little down, you look a little sad, what's going on, how can I love you and pray for you, right? Right? Does that make sense? Formal and informal? That's great. What, uh, what else? What are some other ways? Giving the gospel to friends and family. Yes. Yeah. So uh, sharing the gospel with people. Evangelism. Absolutely. Again, a double fold ministry there, right? Because it glorifies God and it pleases the master when you're out there fulfilling the great commission. But what does that mean to somebody who you shared the gospel with? And Showed them the path to everlasting life, right? Huge. That's great. What else? Set up, and tear down. Set up and tear down. Like, none of this just happens, right? Like, people actually have to sacrifice time, effort, for, all, for, for church to function. Beautiful. What else? We'll go one, one more. I have something I kind of want to read. Anything? There's a lot of ways, right? There's a lot of formal ministries. Um, There's a lot of ways, even as a young person, you can help and serve. Like, so many people want to step back and think, honestly, if you're saying, well, it's because I'm so young. That's an excuse. That's an excuse. We've already seen how the master feels about excuses. If you are a follower of Christ, at this moment then that means the holy spirit dwells inside of you and has given you spiritual gifts through which you can serve the church through loving people um, through formal ministries evangelism service all sorts of different ways that is 100 percent guaranteed and true if you are a follower of Christ. And also, God is sovereign over where you are currently in your life and circumstances. So look for ways based on where your life is, your opportunities to serve the body. Now, answer this for me. What if the thought never crosses your mind of serving the kingdom of God or the church? And I like the point he made. I like the point you made yours yours was very specific in the church ian's was very specific in the church which is great like the church body is going to be one of the key places where we serve the kingdom of god through serving one another right but then i gotta look compare hairstyles here where's i'm guessing alex oh come on all right ben here um ben here his was outside of the church right Like, yours is just family, friends outside of the church evangelizing. So when it comes to serving the kingdom of God, you got to think within the church because that's just the key arena that God has given us to do that in. But it's outside of the church, too, at work, school, sports teams, clubs, whatever the case may be. God has purposefully put you into the lives of unbelievers with the Holy Spirit living inside of you so that you can fulfill the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, of, uh, serving, uh, of sharing the gospel, evangelizing all people. But what if these thoughts never cross your mind? What if you never think, how can I serve God? How can I serve the body of Christ? What if Christ returned today and said, what have you been up to? With this time and the abilities and opportunities I've given you, and you thought, eh, I haven't thought about it. What does that reveal potentially about your heart? You don't have a true love for God. Yeah, I think it, it's, a, it's a huge red flag for you to examine your life. Does the Holy Spirit, does salvation truly dwell within me? Because the desire to serve God's kingdom. And to serve the kingdom of Christ, and to serve the church, is a natural fruit and product of the Holy Spirit. Do I have time to read something? I don't normally do this, so I don't know how comfortable I am doing it. But I read something, I was like, this is too good to not read. I'm going to do it, okay? I don't know if this will be good or not. But this is uh, John Chrysostom, so he's like one of the most famous preachers ever. It's like the 300s and 400s. And it was like Antioch and Constantinople, so like Turkey and kind of like we're um, maybe like northern Lebanon, Syria area now. But So this is old, but um, this is from homily number 20, Acts of the Apostles. I thought this was just really good. It's kind of long. Like I said, I don't normally do this, so sorry if this is tough, but try to listen. He says, there is nothing colder than a Christian who does not work for the salvation of others. You cannot use poverty as an excuse. The widow who threw in her two small coins will accuse you. Peter, the apostle, said, Silver and gold have I none. Paul was so poor, he often went hungry and lacked even necessary food. And being lower class by birth is no excuse either. The apostles were obscure men From obscure families. Are you uneducated? That's no excuse. The apostles were illiterate. Are you weak in body, physically weak? That is no excuse. Timothy was a person who suffered from frequent illness. Everyone can serve his neighbor if only he is willing to play his part. Look at the trees which bear no fruit. See how strong and majestic and smooth and tall they are? But if we had a garden, we would much rather have pomegranates and fruitful olive trees. The tall fruitless trees are pleasing to the eye, but they are of no practical use or very little. They're like people who are concerned only about themselves. Such people are fit for burning. At least the trees are useful for shelter and making houses out of them. Such self-centered people were the foolish virgins who were chaste, discreet, and self-controlled, but did not serve others. Therefore, they were delivered over for burning. Such also were those who did not feed Christ. That's next week. Christ does not accuse them of personal sins, adultery, swearing falsely, or anything like that. He merely accuses them of not being of any practical service. I love that point right there, you know? Like, you might be somebody that everybody says, you're a great kid. You don't, what's he say here? You don't live an immoral life. You don't um, swear. You don't say bad things. You don't do drugs. But are you serving the kingdom? Like, that's really what the master is looking for. Those who only serve themselves and don't serve others, such a self-centered person was the man who buried his talent. His private life might have been spotless, but he never served the kingdom. How can such person be a Christian? Don't tell me it is impossible for me to serve the kingdom. If you are a Christian, it is, a, it is impossible for you not to serve the kingdom. I just think it's, uh, he goes on and on. I just think it's such a great, great sermon and such a great message that he has, just that this should be the natural outflow of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when it comes time, and we don't know when that time is, for us to give an account before Christ for how did we serve him with the opportunities And the time we are given, we want to be able to hear those words, good and faithful, well done, good and faithful slaves. So here's our application. Work hard for the kingdom of God. Work hard for the kingdom of God. Be faithful with what you have. Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about comparing yourselves to others and um, looking at what other people do. Look, God's called you to be faithful with what you have. If you're mentally strong or mentally weak, physically strong, physically weak, wealthy or poor, God calls you to be faithful with opportunity. He's He's the one who's in control of all that, right? He's the one who gave to one slave five talents and another slave two talents and when it came time for judgment on those slaves it was purely about their faithfulness he was the one in control of how many talents they had or the opportunities that they had it's the exact same for us second point of application evaluate your desire to serve god's kingdom do you have a desire to serve god's kingdom to serve the church, to serve the people that God simply places you around every single day because it is such a critical gauge of your spiritual health. If on the other hand, it never crosses your mind. You don't really care about serving the church, serving other people. Your life is really just about you and just about how do you please yourself and do the things that you want to do every day, that is a very dangerous sign of your spiritual health. Evaluate, am I truly in Christ? Do I really recognize that myself, that I am a slave who has been called by the master and entrusted with this life for the purpose of serving him? Think about that and evaluate that. But we don't know. God doesn't give us a schedule, right? So we don't know when this opportunity ends. For some of us, it could be today. For some of us, it could be in 50 years. Christ could return at any moment, right? Like, we just don't know the time that we've been given. The point that Jesus is making throughout Matthew 24 and 25 is be ready, be prepared, and be working hard in the meantime. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that While you don't give us a schedule of life events, you give us clear instruction. And we just pray that you would um, make us fruitful and faithful with this life and this opportunity that we've been given. We thank you for uh, being a loving master, a caring master, and for um, taking care of us so dearly. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.